Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening. It's midday madness time. You call, you get on. That's the midday madness promise. And the number is 1300 736 736. 1-300-736-736. The open line brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Heaps to get to on the show today, but obviously, as always, off the top. It's midday madness. You call, you get on, and we'll take your calls for the next hour and a half. Heaps to give away. Signet Boost Power Banks valid at fifty nine ninety five. Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, earbuds, tablet powered 24-7. We've got a few bottles of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey to give away, thanks to Hairy Dog's Summer of Aussie Spirits, hairydog.com.au. In fact, I think I didn't give one away yesterday, so we might have three of those to give away in the first hour. Brick Lane Brewing Vouchers. Got a voucher for a round of golf for you and a mate at the Magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course as well, valued at $210. And some tickets, heap of tickets to give away to the Melbourne Beer Fest, Katani Gardens, St Kilda, Saturday 25th of February. Tickets available at www.beerfestivals.com.au. So your calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three sixty. open line number, and we'll go straight to your calls off the top. Keep your texts coming through as well on the 40 Winks Temper text machine, 0433 981116. Temper, Consumer's Choice winner, mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. We'll talk some soccer with Simon Hill, who's going to join us later on. A couple of things that Graham Arnold had to say on breakfast this morning uh, pricked my ears up. We had a, a lot of calls during the World Cup about grassroots soccer not being delivered on by the governing body in this country. Graham Arnold said earlier today that he wants to help the game at the lower level, not just coach the Socceroos, but now that he's been appointed long-term, he wants to help the game at grassroots level. We'll find out what that means to you if you want to dial the number and have a chat to me. What can Graham Arnold and the Football Federation do? Simon Hill to give us his version of what they can do after 1 o'clock. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Take your calls on that. We'll talk some footy as well. We'll talk some Formula 1 Grand Prix. Andrew Westacott, the F1 CEO, is going to join me later on in the program. A new release of tickets for the F1. They're trying to get 130,000 fans in on three days, if they can. 130 on race day, that's going to be a fait accompli. They'll get 130 in. But they're putting in a new grandstand to make sure that there are going to be more tickets and more um, enjoyable areas for those people who just come for the enjoyment of the overall spectacle, not necessarily to see the cars, can actually enjoy the precinct. So we'll talk to Andrew Westcott about that. Uh, We'll also have a chat to Brent Costello, who's written up the story about Hawthorne extending their deal in Tasmania, which is great news for football and for Launceston. So two more years on top of the current season coming for Hawthorne to play games in Launceston. So that deal takes them to the end of 2025. It was kind of going to happen anyway, but I'm glad it has finally happened. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Here be your calls. Um, just been talking. I won't give too much away. David King's back on breakfast on Friday, so I won't give too much away, but just been talking to David King because we're excited about... I'm, I'm excited about going to watch Nick Dacos train on Friday. So this is, it might sound ridiculous. We had a few texts come through in the last couple of days. Why all this hype around Nick Dacos? Uh, he's going to be tagged this year. How come so many people predicting him to become, you know, the Brownlow medalist or a top five player by the end of the year? Um, it's, it's because of the way he goes about every minute that he's on the track. 
And I'm actually going to watch Collingwood train partly because I want to hear what... I want to see the hype around Nick Dacos as well. So many modern-day footballers are not footy heads. They don't watch football. They don't read about football. They're studying to be aeronautical engineers and they'd rather sit home and play Fortnite rather than watch a game of footy that has the opposition they're playing next week. They'd rather, you know, have a latte and read a book because they're not footy heads. Nick Dacos is a footballer. If you want to know why he's going to get better, it's because he's a footballer who just loves football. He spent every minute of his childhood with a footy in his hands, just like kids did in the old days. That's why we love him, and that's why he'll get better. So, yeah, Nick Dacos still spends every waking hour with a footy in his hands and watching footy. I mean, he, occasionally when he's in the car, he's admitted he listens to the show. Not that that's a, you know, <laughs> a prerequisite to be a footballer's footballer, but he doesn't mind hearing and talking about footy, and he's been on this program a few times. So we'll talk some footy as well if you want to have a chat about some footy. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, the open line number. I want to get back to something Craig Kelly said on the program late yesterday on our program. We didn't have a chance to back over it as well, but I want to replay it to you. Is it time to let the rich clubs start spending more of their hard-earned money on themselves and not share it with the poor clubs who've been running themselves poorly, haven't been marketing themselves well enough, haven't been drawing crowds and haven't been playing attractive footy? Because that's what's happening at the moment. The rich clubs are propping them up. How long do we keep spending money on them to keep them going at the rate that they are being kept going? Because at some stage, they have to be a bit more accountable. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. And I'll play you the piece of Craig Kelly that sparked my thought on that. But a couple of callers on the line. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the open line number. And uh, our first caller wants to talk golf. Welcome to you. Hello there. Hello. Yes. Who have we got on the line yeah, here? I've got a name. How are you, mate? Sorry. I'm uh, just wondering with what's going on with golf. In the last 12 months, it seems to have got a very uh, childish. In what way? Because of the split? Because of the, oh, the Saudi money that's come into golf split. and it's caused a split between the two? Yeah, the split and this thing with McElroy and Patrick Reed. I mean... Wow, we very childish. Well, it's, when you're so thinking that each other because you don't say good day to each other and stuff. But if you're, you know, if you're getting people to go to the courts over an issue, then if someone said that they were taking me to court, I wouldn't be all that happy about playing around a round of golf for them a couple of weeks later either, would you? No, that's what this is about. If it's your business, it's your business. You don't do that to business, do you? Well, maybe not, but I, the, the way I see it is that the, the, the situation with the split and the tours has caused some angst, and if players are going to take the other player to court, I can see why it happens. But uh, I appreciate your call. It's a, it is interesting to see what's happening with golf at the moment. Um, Brett and Mentone, it is I'm talking to, isn't it, Brett? No, that was, yeah, so... Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for your call. I've got, got some confusion on the line here. Got Glenn, Matt, Ross... John, Wayne and Barney. So I'll get to you all. just need to get your names right and get you in order. I think Glenn in Broadmeadows is next on the line. Welcome to you, Glenn. Yeah, good afternoon, Dwayne. I think it's outrageous that Hawthorne's extending their deal in Launceston for another three seasons, when at the exact same time the AFL's saying that Launceston isn't, a, isn't up to AFL standard for a Tasmanian AFL team either. Launceston is either up, up to AFL standard or it's not. <laughs> is, is it up to standard or isn't it? If you're a regular, Glenn. You're a regular, Glenn, you're a regular on the... 
You're a regular on the poo-pooing. You're the one who rang yesterday and said, no one wants a team, aren't you? You're the man? No one wants a team in Tasmania? No. I'm saying Tasmania should definitely have a team. When the, when the Port Adelaide Power joined the AFL, yeah. the population of South Australia was 1.2 million. Tasmania yeah. now has 600,000. So, so it's got the same amount of people for one team as what South Australia does. The, the only reason they're using to keep them out is the fact that the, stand, the stadiums aren't up to standard. But at the same time, they're saying North Melbourne can play at Bell Reeve and Tas, uh, Hawthorne can play at Launceston. So to me, there's got to be... A ground standard. If Launceston's good enough for Hawthorne, it's good enough for Tasmania. You can't. You can't say it's not good enough for Tasmania. Glenn, but it is Glenn, good Glenn, for Glenn, you're, you're you're off the mark again. I'm sorry. When has the AFL ever said that Launceston's not up to AFL standard? It's been up to AFL standard for two decades. They play there every year. They play pre-season there. They're going to play a pre-season game this year. That's going to be announced tomorrow. I understand. So they they play there every year. The AFL's never said that Launceston's not up to AFL standard. And if there is a new stadium built in Tasmania or they redevelop Bellarive, one of the two, and they get a team, games will still be played in Launceston. So I don't know where you're going with it. Thanks for your call, though. Good try. Keep going. Give us a call tomorrow. Have another crack. Matt and Cheltenham, welcome to you, Matt. You want to talk to Saints? Yeah. G'day, Dwayne. How are you? Good. Excellent. Um, I've, I've heard recently you've been a bit um, slow on the Saints list, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. I'm, I'm a Saints fan, but... Um, just in particular, I, I want well, to... Hang on, just, just, to, get, just to clarify that. Who told you I was slow on the Saints list? Uh, no, I think I think you said yesterday, uh, if not the day before, um, that the that the list... Um, you're not a fan of the list? Well, the list didn't make the eight last year. So oh, what, yeah. I'm, what, what I'm saying is that it wasn't good enough last year and that if Ross Lyon can't extract an extra 10 or 15% out of a number of players who are just OK players... If he can't actually get the next level, but if he can get the next level out of Owens and he can get the next level out of Windhager, then the list might actually be good. It might be eight-worthy, but it wasn't eight-worthy last year. I'm buying a membership. I'm, I'm on the Saints bandwagon, Matt. I think you will improve and spike this year. Yeah, no, look, I don't disagree. Um, I, I was wondering whether um, your comments were... Um, influenced by the fact that um, I think uh, pretty much everyone over six foot four is now injured, um, mm. or whether it's more the construct of the list, as in uh, you know lack of A graders or um, age profile or something like that. It's more a case of what's been delivered by the list. It's the only way it's a win loss business, Matt. So the only real way we've got of assessing whether a list is any good or not is how it performs, and it hasn't performed that well. So to, to take it the next level, to become a, a premiership contender or at least make the finals, can Ross Lyon add the 20% to this list to make it improve to a finals-worthy list? And I've seen that happen. I mean, Craig McRae took a list that was pretty good. Nathan Buckley had it in the finals the previous year and took them back into the finals to make them a contender. Pretty much the same list with a couple of other alterations. I mean, I've seen it over time. You know, I had the luck of having Malcolm Blight come to Geelong when I was there. So, uh, you know, he, a spike can happen with a first-time coach. But whether or not he can actually get that improvement to stay or whether it's going to be a one-year sugar hit is going to be the issue as well that I'm waiting to find out because um, I think the list def, def, definitely needs to be added to. And Max King has to take the next step to become, you know, an All-Australian uh, worthy forward, a Coleman winning forward if... St Kilda's to take the next step, and he does get injured a bit. That's the issue there. Yep, agreed. Yep, absolutely. So, 
I'm buying my membership. I'm on the bandwagon, and uh, I appreciate your call. You've got a Signet Boost Power Bank valid at $59.95. Signet Boost Power Banks will keep your tablet, phone, and earbuds powered 24-7. Um, Ross in Fremantle, welcome to you, Ross. G'day, Dwayne. Um, I'm calling up to find out more information about your equipment um, yes. that you view with. Is it, um, is it a, a spotting scope or binoculars magnification? Do you, have, do you have to have a support for your elbows to stop shakiness? Um, yeah. What do you recommend for viewing? I'm really interested. Right. Okay. Um, this probably bore people to tears, but I'll, I'll give you the rundown, Ross. I first started calling with a pair of Tasco InFocus, um, which is which was my binocular of choice. They're, they're essentially, you don't have to twiddle a dial to focus them. And I grew up calling with older guys who would often say to me, oh, you need binoculars, do you, young guy? Because I'm more a binoculars caller than a lot of callers. I'm... I'm I'm more binoculars than anyone else. A lot of other people are, are more TV screen or naked eye, but I like the binoculars. So that's that's what I like to call through. It gives me a, a closer vision, if you like. I can identify boots and hair and identify the players quicker. So, But the, for the last 10 years or so, I've um, used Steiners, a Steiner 7x50, the Steiner Commander, which is a, it's a bigger, bulkier binocular, but it's steady for use. And ship captains use them to stand on the front of the ship and actually gauge the distance to port and gauge the distance between boats when they bring their boat into port. So I've been using Steiners for 10 years, Steiner Commanders, um, and they're a great binocular. They're worth a couple of thousand bucks, by the way, but they're great. But Swarovski have got these new NL Pures, and Swarovski have been making glass and binoculars for a while. Uh, they're pretty good at it. And the NL Pures, they're around $4,000, Ross, so they're pretty good. Then they're, they're probably, if I did get a pair of those, they'd be the probably 8 by 42s or the or the 10 by 42s I'm not sure which one I'm, I'm going for if you go with the 10 by 42s you do have to anchor your arms and be really steady because the more the magnification the more the slightest shake of your arms affects your vision yep perfect I've got 8 by 42s these is for bird watching so I'm just yeah I was just interested for, for the for the game cheers cheers Dwayne <laughs> no worries at all thanks for your call and thanks for your interest in it one three hundred seven three six seven three six. never quite know where we're going to go on this program but it is fun uh, keep your text coming through I read a heap of your text out very shortly on that text machine number 0433 but great to have so many callers on the line Wayne in Adelaide welcome to you Wayne hey, how are you mate I come from God's country uh, which, which is? Oh, well, the Fever Peninsula down in near Port Adelaide, mate. Oh, um, beautiful. You Taparoo? Yep, absolutely. Beautiful. Um, I, I just thought I'd touch base. Um, I actually listened to Ned's, um, interview yesterday related to Collingwood and, um, you brought up just before about rich clubs keeping more of the money they earn. Some of these rich clubs are rich for a reason. They get all the marquee games uh, and the plum time time slot. So it goes to reason that they're going to be earning more money. If you all of a sudden say to them, OK, yep, you keep what you earn, they've got to even up these time slots. They've got to even up the plum games. Like um, somebody like Collingwood, even when they weren't down the at the top, we're still probably getting marquee games. They're still mm. getting plum time shots. Somebody like Fremantle or Port Adelaide or Adelaide or the Gold Coast or the GWS, they don't... I mean, sometimes they don't even get a Friday night game, whereas Collingwood might have six or seven because they draw the crowds. 
So I think that's where equalisation comes in, and it's a little bit rich for the rich clubs to say, oh, we want to keep all the money, when they're, like, basically, um, the, the other clubs don't get a, a chance. Sponsors want to be heard and seen by, um, like, by, be on the marquee game. So naturally, their money's going towards those rich clubs because they're going to be in the marquee time slots, and that's when the best sponsorship opportunity is. I mean, that's just my opinion. It yeah. may be in the minority, but I don't think... I just don't think it's reasonable to say that the rich clubs should be keeping all of their own money. They do support the poorer clubs by being a big drawing club and equalising, and the equalisation, that's what that's all about as far as I understand. I might be wrong. No, you're 100% right. I mean, that, I'm, I'm, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The hard part is, at, at what stage do the clubs who aren't making money, aren't drawing crowds, um, actually had the AFL thump the fist on the desk and say, come on, guys, you've got to be more accountable for the fact that you're not contributing enough to the game. Why aren't you drawing crowds? Why isn't anyone wanting to come and see you? What, and the other thing with a team like Collingwood is that the all the other clubs want to play Collingwood to get a marquee slot. So Port Adelaide, for example, if you want a marquee slot on a Friday night, you're probably going to have to play Collingwood or you're probably going to have to play Carlton because otherwise you won't get a marquee slot on a Friday night if you're playing the Gold Coast. So it, it sounds like, oh, well, every Friday night should be shared around and Port Adelaide should get a Friday night against the Gold Coast. Well, well, it won't happen because if you played Port Adelaide and the Gold Coast on the Gold Coast, it would be a spectacle with a half-empty stadium and it wouldn't look great in the telly and it's not the marquee game that we're, we're looking for on a Friday night. So that's where it's a paradox for Collingwood because... Then not only is every game they play a marquee game, every away game is a marquee game because other teams want to play them in a marquee slot. So that's the hard part. So where does the accountability come in for those teams who aren't making a profit and drawing fans at the moment? Well, with the, the, in regards to the not drawing a profit, that is something that the clubs themselves, they've got to work through that. Like you can't mm. just be expected to be propped up all the time. Even like somebody like Port Adelaide, we've got mm. to stand on our own t- two feet, like Adelaide. Same with Gold Coast and GWS. Yes, they, they need to stand on their own true feet. And playing attractive football is a, is a way of doing that. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's part of it. But, yeah, you're right. That Everyone wants to play Collingwood because it is a marquee game. That's the catch-22 situation, though. If you give them more money, yeah. they can get all of, all of the better coaches. They can get the better... They'll attract the better players because they can pay all of their salary cap and the players want to play on a big on a big stage in front of lots of people I get that but isn't that a isn't that the win that a great club can have the salary cap is what it is you can't pay over the salary cap but you might get a player that says I want to come and play for Collingwood for less money because I get to play in front of 70,000 every week and sometimes more than that so that's the beauty of it um yeah. players might take less money but also I'm not, I'm not saying that Collingwood should be able to spend more or Essendon or Carlton spend more on coaching staff because there is a, a cap on coaching and um, medical staff. So that stops the good clubs from getting, you know, five of the best doctors to come and work for them and uh, the other clubs, you know, get the 20th and 21st doctor working for them. But you could spend your money on your facilities and have your venue better than everybody else's. So I don't want to take Craig Kelly out of context. Wayne, hold the line. Got something for you. Um, we've got a 
We've got a Signet Boost power bank coming your way in Adelaide as well. So hold the line. We'll let you know how we can get it to you. But here's Craig Kelly talking about it yesterday. So I'll let his grab tell the story rather than me paraphrase and get it wrong. Here's Craig Kelly saying that time for the clubs who have been a drain to get their act together and start making some money. Make money. Be profitable and deliver to the members. At the end of the day, there's no point running a business if you're not actually running it successfully and, and not draining the competition. I mean, ultimately, every club in the competition should be um, delivering to the competition and, and, and not sucking from it. So to me, um, you know, the big clubs have provided a lot to that's shared between a lot of other clubs. Um, we, we all should want to be run successful businesses and... They have to be profitable, but also you have to play a style of footy and be entertaining. We're in the entertainment business, guys. And the end of the day, we want to have a full stadium, uh, full memberships, and that makes us profitable, but it also delivers to the fan what they want. At the end of the day, the fans are our owners. It's uh, We're not like the states where we're privately owned. New Collingwood CEO, Collingwood Premiership star Craig Kelly on the program yesterday. Uh, Barney, Michael, Tom, we'll get to you all. John, Tony and Kitan as well. We will get you. Stick around. Michael in Williamstown, you're with Dwayne's Well. Great to have company for Midday Madness. Summer Breakfast. Philadelphia Eagles punter Aaron Sipos joined us as they look forward to the Super Bowl in two weeks' time. You're in the AFL system for, what, four or five years? I mean, how does it compare? In all honesty, it is quite tough to kind of compare the two differences. You know, in Australia, we think it's obviously such a high calibre. But over here, the organisation itself is just incredibly different compared to what the AFL's like. The Kogan Money Credit Card, a great value card. Kino Go, now in Victoria. Straight back to your calls for Midday Madness. Michael in Williamstown, thanks for holding. Michael, welcome. Dwayne, how are you, mate? Good. Um, you're a bit rude to that guy that rang earlier about the Tassie case. Um, well, he's, he's called about the what... same thing. He's called the same, and said yeah, the same yeah, but thing you cut him off three mid, days in a row. You cut him off midstream, and you're saying, yeah, it's up to standard. That's fine. So why is the AFL um, making saying if they don't build a new stadium in Tassie that's got a roof or whatever on it and it does this and does that, why do they continue to play games in Hobart and Launceston? Um, and why can't a Tassie team play their games there? Why is the new stadium imperative that it's built? Otherwise, they don't get a licence. You haven't addressed that once in any of your comments. No, I've addressed it lots of times, Michael, over the course of months. So if you want me to address it again, if they want a 9 licence, then part of the 9 licence agreement to be self-sufficient and to draw crowds and to add to the competition by getting a 19th licence, is that there needs to be a stadium with a roof. Now, we can argue whether that should or shouldn't be a factor, and I'm happy to hear your argument if you think it shouldn't be a factor. That's fine. But if you want a 19th licence, a stadium with a roof is required to make that team a more self-sufficient, vibrant, draw crowds from the mainland kind of team. So if you just want to have what we've got now, then Launceston's fine. If you want Hawthorne to play in Launceston for the next 40 years, that's fine. Launceston's fine for it. If you want North Melbourne to play in Hobart for the next 40 years, that's fine. Bellary's fine for it. Those grounds are fit for AFL. They're good enough. They're good enough now, have been good enough for 10 years. What the AFL's looking is at the future, 2028 and beyond. If you want a 19th licence, then Tassie needs to come into the new era of venues and get a decent venue for a 19th team. 
you still haven't addressed it, Dwayne, because all yours being is a puppet for the AFL. They are not going to get more visitors from the mainland coming than they do now because when two teams play there, visitors come from both teams. When there's a Tassie team base there, only half the number of supporters from the mainland will come over. So having a stadium that's bigger with a roof on it isn't going to guarantee bigger crowds because most of the people are going to be half the crowd at least will be local Tasmanians. It's just yeah, Michael, a joke you can to make them build something. Yeah. That's okay. You can call me a puppet of the AFL, Michael. That's fine. But I was sitting with two Tasmanian event staff yesterday in a meeting and asking them about what a stadium with a roof will mean for Tasmania, for Hobart, for drawing crowds. I was with people who run the Tassie Jack Jumpers yesterday morning to get a briefing from them as well on whether people come from all over Tasmania to come and watch the Jack Jumpers play in Hobart. And they were telling me that, yes, people do travel to watch the Jack Jumpers. The Jack Jumpers are a great example of people in Tasmania unifying behind their own team. So the, the event staff that I spoke to yesterday did talk about how many people would come from the mainland to come and visit Hobart, to go to festivals like Dark Mofo and Seamona and come to games themselves if there was a better venue to come to, a bit like Adelaide has done with the Adelaide Oval. They've made that a better venue. Perth has done it with Optus Stadium. I mean, Perth could have redeveloped Subiaco. I've gone over this before, so if this is boring people, I apologise. But Perth had the same dilemma. Do we redevelop Subiaco? Do we redo the Wacker? Or do we build our own venue? And now people go to Perth because that venue is so fantastic. So that's the, the message I got from event staff yesterday who told me they will draw concerts down there. But it's OK, Mike. If you think I'm a puppet of the AFL, Michael, that's fine because there are people that probably do think I'm that. But, you know, I'm trying to get a... I was in Hobart yesterday trying to get an understanding on it. And I have had callers ring up and say, no one wants a stadium with a roof. No one wants a stadium with a roof. Glenn said that. And I don't think that no one is the correct percentage. If it had said 70%, I would have said fine. But when he says no one wants a stadium with a roof, and I was sitting with people in a room that told me they'd grown up, lived all their lives in Hobart, and they want a stadium in the roof, then I know no one is probably an incorrect percentage. But appreciate your call, and hold the line. I've got something for you. You've got a uh, bottle of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey, thanks to Hairy Dog Summer of Aussie Spirits, hairydog.com.au. Back with more calls after the break for news. Six. Tom in South Australia, welcome to you, Tom. Yeah, how are you, Dwayne? Um, I just want to get your opinion. I'm being a town supporter. I just want to get your views after a comment. Because, um, all right, with all this... Savannah's gone to St Kilda, oh, fair enough, he had connection with Ross Lyon. But my, opi- my opinion, I don't know other councillors want to get on with you. My opinion, Savannah's done a rebuild at Carlin. Now he's slow, I think, starting to see all the you know, rewards and all that. I hope they come good. And now his son, Jack, which I rate, who's improved, yeah, he'd be in the best 22. I was just, my opinion, Dwayne, you put a current hat on for a minute. What did you, I reckon it's too soon. Him, he's, gone, he's gone to St Kilda, and now he's going to help guide St Kilda along to uh, stop Carlton winning the premiership. Well, he's only just rebuilt this council. And don't forget, when he came to Carlton, when they got him back to Carlton, Carlton's a mess. So he wasn't going to get all the draft picks right. But he's a good operator. And I, I look at it. Well, that's a game for St Kilda, and he's going to go along against his son, and you know, like that, they were at the games and watching him enjoy. And now, 
I know your opinion. I, I don't. I don't. It doesn't sit right with me because if he was ten years old, yeah, all right. He's just rebuilt his side, and then we just so he's going to start seeing the, you know. So what Tom, do you think? Well, Tom, you can't have all your old champions only ever work for your club. That's the hard part. You've, you've got a lot of old champions that have gone to other clubs. Not all of them as list managers. I'll agree with you on that. But you can't just have your, all, your old club, all your old champions only ever working for your club. I mean, we've got coaches like Craig McRae trying to stop Brisbane from winning a flag by winning one for Collingwood. So, you know, you've, you've had, you know, Lee Matthews was an all-time great of, of Hawthorne Footy Club, went and coached Collingwood to flags against Hawthorne and then went and coached Brisbane to flags against Collingwood and Hawthorne. So you can't just have your old champion stay at your own club. List management, I know, you're probably seeing a Stephen Silvani group maybe about to play against a Stephen Silvani group in the future if you can get a Stephen Silvani group at St Kilda. But I understand your frustration because sometimes it is hard when your champions go somewhere else and start to work for someone else against your old mob that, you know, you loved and maybe grew up with your number on, it, on, it, on your back. Hold the line. Got something for you, Tom, just because of your frustration to try and ease the pain. We've got some uh, tickets to the Melbourne Beer Fest. Katani Gardens, St Kilda, Saturday, 25th of February. Tickets at www.beerfestivals.com.au. Tony in Clinton. Welcome to you, Tony. G'day, Dwayne. How are you? Yeah, good. Look, I'm just ringing up about uh, Craig Kelly's uh, stuff. It's, um, I find it a bit rich. I think it's just the, the rich wanting to stay that way. I suppose I'd like to put, compare it to a couple of other sports in the world. The NFL in America is possibly about the most vibrant, successful sport. They go to the extent of sharing all their merchandising income amongst the clubs. Um, I suppose another point I would like to make is that um, do you want it to be like the English Soccer League where there's only about four or five teams out of 20 that can win it each year? Well, there's only two now. So We're rich. halfway through the season and only two can win it now no, in the but, EPL. No, but, but in the last 20 years, I'd say yeah. only four, four or five teams have no, won. No, I agree. I'm agreeing with you. I'm emphasising your point. Yeah, but um, so, you know, what, 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 what do you want? Do you want an even competition? Um, the free market won't work in that respect because, you know, you've got teams like Richmond, Collingwood, Essendon. doesn't matter, matter if they're bad for 10 years. They've got such a residual amount of large supporters. You know, do you want to give these new teams a chance or not? Absolutely I do, 100% I do. But start playing attractive footy. I agree with that. Craig Kelly said start playing. It's the entertainment business. So start playing attractive footy and work out what you're doing wrong. Why aren't you drawing crowds? That's the issue. But you're putting them behind the eight ball to start. They don't have the facilities. They don't have the supporter base. They don't have the um, large amount of uh, capital reserves. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if Essendon are crap for 20 years. You've still got those Mm. Essendonians bailing the club out no matter what happens. Yeah, and, facilities uh, are an issue. I, I agree. With the, the Gold Coast Suns had terrible facilities for years, and that didn't help them. I agree with you on yeah. that. But that's not... You can't and, blame the, the rich clubs for the fact that the Gold Coast have had poor facilities. And the Gold, no, but the Gold Coast poor they're facilities wanting to, are... They're wanting to change the rules to further entrench that. Look, and, and just on one side point, the, the last caller about Silvani, he basically got forced out of Carlton. Yeah, there, there was a sense of that. I agree with that. Yeah. And, yeah. look, I'm agreeing with you a little on the equalisation side. We, we can't just ignore these clubs. But what I do agree with Craig Kelly on is that there needs to be more accountability for some of these clubs as to they're not pulling crowds and they're not playing the kind of footy that will pull crowds. 
and there needs to be accountability. So yes, I agree with equalisation. Yes, I agree that there needs to be a sharing of the pool. The American example is difficult because a lot of their stadia is privately owned and a lot of their teams are privately owned. So it's a lot different there. But look, accountability, I think, should be enhanced, I think. There should be more of a magnifying glass on some of the clubs who, if they are a drain to the AFL, where they can get better. And if there's an opportunity for someone like a Craig Kelly to establish a point where they can get better and they've been poor at because he's been running a great successful marketing business and management business for a long time, then it would be great if you could identify it because they need to get better when it comes to marketing and getting crowds. So I agree with him on that. We'll take a break. More of your calls next on Midday Madness. Sorry about your calls and your texts for Midday Madness. A few texts before the calls. Uh, I haven't read too many out today, so uh, let me read a heap out now. Who the hell is going to watch Fremantle v Gold Coast on a Friday night time slot? Uh, another one here. He answered his own question. You get the big games when you can bring a crowd in. They're only marquee games because they bring crowds. Uh, some teams aren't drawing crowds because they are situated in states, areas that don't like or watch AFL football, which sounds like it might be correct if you don't take into account the fact that in New South Wales, Sydney draw big crowds, and in Brisbane, the Lions draw big crowds. So there is a crowd there. If you play the right footy, you get the right list, and you do the right marketing, and you establish yourself well enough. And I know that Sydney has had the march on the Giants, and obviously the the Lions have had the march on the Gold Coast. Uh, Dwayne waxing poetical about binoculars has for sure been the best thing I've heard on SEN for a long time. Dan, I didn't think binocular talk would... Get that much interest. Another one here from Tim in Q. Love the binoculars info, Dwayne. Might have to start saving Tim in Q. Uh, yeah, well, if you drop down, there's Swarovskis, there's Steiners, there's Likers. Uh, you can check them all out. Um, normally, you have to go to the gun shops to see the the Steiners and the Swarovskis, but I think Likers got a shop in um, Chatty, so you can drop down and see the Likers there. Um, it's it's Everyone's got a different preference, obviously, and that's why I like to check them out. Uh, look at the draw. Collingwood has nearly all Sunday games. Uh, another one here. Put Collingwood on a Sunday twilight for 10 years and see what happens. That's from Mike. Well, the Swans played Sundays for 15 years, and I think it actually enhanced their watchability to the general public who liked watching them. Now, it wasn't Sunday twilight, but I don't think so. I think Collingwood on Sunday twilight wouldn't be too bad because, um, you know, everyone would get to watch them. And, you know, Collingwood's got that drawing power as well with the TV. You know, half the people are... Tune in, tune in to watch them lose if they can. Um, that was interesting. Another one, binoculars. Never thought of that side of things. Quite a few coming through on the binoculars. So thanks for that. Um, I'll go to Tassie if there's footy undercover. I'd go and visit and see it and experience it and spend money in the state. Also, they can have other events all year round. The future is undercover, Kurt. And I agree with you, Kurt. So just a, everyone's got an opinion on it. I think the future is undercover as well. And the event staff I was with yesterday that was nice to get a briefing from, locals who know Tassie, we're telling me the same. Um, been to both grounds in Tassie. Uh, they're pretty crap. New stadium is a must. And look, Gloucester's pretty good. Um, and the ground, arguably the ground itself, the carpet surface, is as good as any ground in the AFL. Dwayne, all these stadiums are predominantly paid for by the taxpayer. AFL needs to get another revenue stream. Taxpayer as well is running dry. That's from Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean, Geelong's new stadium, a lot of that was paid for by the taxpayer. So I, I agree with your point there. Uh, Pipe. Why do you think the Jack Jumpers are such a success? Because the stadium has been refurbished and made elite and made into a place you want to attend. JB and Hobart, I don't want to be at Blundstone Arena. I want a new stadium that attracts and helps keep players there for the long term, like you are stating. And that's the issue. You also want to have the facilities that keeps your players there long term. 
Um, people need to realise a new stadium in Tassie won't just be for the AFL. It'll allow so many other events to be attracted down to Tassie. So uh, plenty of text coming through on that. Mick and Fitzroy wants to talk Tassie as well. Mick, I promise I'll get to you after the break. John, Andrew, Clinton, Raj and Jim. It's Midday Madness. We'll get you all on, if not before one, at least after as Midday Madness continues. Thank you, calls for Midday Madness. Mick and Fitzroy, thanks for holding. Mick? Yeah, how you going, mate? Good. Yeah, Dwayne. Yeah. Now, listen, there will never be a resolution in Tasmania because I... I come from the south and we hate the north, right? I'm listening. They talk, they talk about a new football ground. They want to build a new football ground. I have said this and I've said this before. They should look at the Devonport football label or Girdleston Park at East Devonport. There's plenty of room to develop grandstands around both grounds without buggering up the... Uh, infrastructure yep and the people can get on the spirit of Tasmania pull into Devonport watch the game spend a bit of money in Devonport and then they can spend the day in Devonport watch the football get back on the spirit and it's a day trip for uh, a weekend for them but there will never be a resolution between Hobart and Launceston. You don't and think the young Lons- the young will not have the same anger at the other side of the state well, as 60, the old have? I'm 65, and it was born into me. And some of the best football games, yep. and some of the best football games was when the, the Launceston uh, side used to be called the NTFA. Mm-hmm. The uh, the seven uh, the TFL was Hobart, right? Yep. And and it was it was a war. It wasn't a game of football. It was a war. John McCount Bingley knocked out the best player from the NTFA while the national anthem was going on. It is war in Tasmania. We had a team called the Tasmanian Devils, but they were they were a North Lawn System based side, and that's why the Southerners wouldn't back them. We played in the um, PFL for about three or four years, maybe five yep. years. Do you think the state can unify in the name of getting a 19th team, Mick? Do you think you could do that at all or not? I. Honestly, believe Tasmania should not have a side in the in in the um, AFL because we've got no money in Tasmania. You've made your point and you've made it strongly, Mick. I appreciate it. I've been to Devonport. It's a beautiful place. Um, it's got a lot going for it, and I've watched some footy there. So uh, hold the line. Got something for you. Great call. Always love your company for Dwayne's World and for Midday Madness. Pretty crazy first hour. Let's keep it rolling. Midday Madness continues. one 736 the open line number. Keep your text coming through as well on that 40 Winks temper text, 0433981116. Temper, consumer's choice winner, temper mattresses, T-E-M-P-U-R. Temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conform to the exact shape of your body. Quite a few texts coming through. On our caller just before the news, um, give Mick another prize. What a legend. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, it's only old people like this guy who keep the North v South going. The younger generations 
don't care. And I'm hoping that that could happen as well. There could be unification of the state. The younger people would get together. I mean, I know that there are some people who, you know, were against the Adelaide Crows. Port Adelaide fans, they're not going to watch the Crows, not going to watch the Crows, but there were fans who just thought, well, come on, there's AFL in the state. Let's go and watch it. Um, and if you love your footy, I think if they build it, I reckon the crowd will come. But just my opinion on that. Um, Dwayne, to prove, to add to your point, you need a roof so concert revenue is guaranteed. Steph in Seaford, and we've seen that a bit over not only the winter, but over the summer with a few rained out events and concerts in recent times. A big one at uh, Mount Donita State among them. Um, Raj in Sunbury, you've been holding for a while before I head back to the calls. Um, I know you've been holding for a while. John, Andrew, Clinton, uh, Jim, I'll get you all. But Raj, thanks for holding. Yeah, hi, Dwayne. How are you going? Good. Good. Uh, Dwayne, I'm going to just ask you a couple of rhetorical questions. I'm just going to change the topic from footy to cricket. Yeah. Um, of the South African and the West Indies team played Australia, how many of the South African or the West Indian players would have been in the starting 11 for Australia? That's my first, second, first and second question. Yeah. And the, se- the third question, which puts the series coming up with India into context, is how many of the Australians would be in the Indian starting 11 uh, for the first test? Well, I think you answer your own question, Raj. The, the answer to the first one might actually be zero. Uh, there might be zero, zero of the South zero Africans that would get a game. Yeah. But so whereas... Zero and zero for the West well, Indian yeah. South African piece. Yeah. So do you think that there would be... Who would get a game? Well, Steve Smith would get a game in any country in the world's best 11, wow. wouldn't he? Yes, he would. I agree. Absolutely, he would. Now, Manus Labuschagne? No, he wouldn't. Not, not with the Indian 11 that we've got. Okay. I don't think yep. Manus Labuschagne or Usman Kawaja or yep. David Warner, who are in the top four or five, obviously, you know, test players in, uh, in the Australian cricket team. I don't think any of them yep. would get it. Steve Smith, yes, absolutely he would. Nathan Lyon would not get into the Indian starting 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Cummings would get in uh, over, over probably uh, Shami. And that's about it. And that's about it. The Indian so wicketkeeper. Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. So you're saying we're in trouble in India, Raj. That's the bottom line? No. Yes, absolutely. You're not just in trouble. I'm just saying that the summer for the Australian cricket team has been very easy so far. Yep. And, and, and one of the ways that, that I think most cricket followers would judge a, 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 a team is exactly what I asked you first which is how many of the West Indian players or the South African players would get into the starting 11 for Australia? Yeah. And you, I agree with you and you agreed with me, zero. In the Indian cricket team, I reckon there'd be only two or three who would get in. The, the definite starters would be Pat Cummins and Steve Smith. And that's about it. That, that to me, is the summation of the, of the, of the series yeah. coming up. Love it, Raj. Hold the line. Got something for you. We could send you down to St Andrews Beach Golf Course if you'd like a round of golf for you and a mate. It's valid at $210. You can head down there on us. I appreciate it. If you can't head down there, I'm sure you might know someone who would love that opportunity. Uh, You mentioned Dave Warner. Dave Warner's an interesting one for me. I mean, off the back of one double century, so one big innings, apart from that, there's still that thought that he's not really in form and that he's not the kind of guy that is going to deliver in India. But, you know, it's a wait and see, and that's part of the intrigue about what's coming up, and you'll hear it live on SEN. Can't wait for it. Uh, Clinton in Doncaster, you want to talk Alex Dimonor 
Uh, welcome to you, Clinton. You've been holding for a while on a little bit of a change-up. Given that our previous call has changed it up, we might as well let you keep changing it up. Welcome to you. All good. Thanks, Dwayne. Um, just calling about Demon I think he's been pretty harshly done by on his performance in the Australian Open. I reckon he's improved heaps during the year. And Novak wiped the floor of everybody he played pretty much this year. He beat Tsitsipas in three sets. Mm. And Demon seemed to cop the flack for not winning a set. So can Demonor become, you know, top three or four? Has he got that weaponry? Clinton is the big... Most people believe Demonor is great because he's a fighter. He gives it his heart and soul. He's got that Aussie spirit. And there's a, a beauty to the fact that he's achieving what he's achieving. And it's monumental. And he's making a lot of money and getting to the deep end of tournaments. But has he got the weaponry to actually win a Grand Slam or get to a semi-final of a Grand Slam or maybe even push Novak. That's the issue. Most people believe he might not have the weaponry even though he's still young enough to maybe develop it. Yeah, I probably reckon he doesn't at the moment but if he can develop it, maybe. But hmm. he's, like, that's what I count him as. Like, he's, he's a good player but probably not a top three or four player. But that's sort of what we expected and people seem to expect him like to beat Novak during the Australian hmm. Open. I, I thought he might take a set but I thought he'd done quite well to get where he was. But Novak's just a, a complete freak of the game. <laughs> Novak, you could almost put Federer and Nadal down the other end and he could play them as a doubles pair and he was playing that well. He just about would have beaten him. He, he, it, it was great to see what Novak did, to be honest, on the court. So um, he lit it up for two weeks. Uh, there's no way of describing it any other way. Um, Clinton, hold the line. Got something for you as well. You've got a Brick Lane Brewing Voucher, Brick Lane Wild Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions, and the ultimate crowd pleaser, drink responsibly. Uh, John, you've been hiding for a while as well. John, you want to talk some cricket. Welcome to you. Yeah, hi, Dwayne. Just one real quick one on Collingwood, if I can. Yeah. No, I'm not Andy Collingwood at all. I was I barked from the 80s and all the rest of it, you know, in the old VFL. But they were broke 1998 and um, wooden spurners, so... And Richmond had saved their skins, saved their skins. Yep. Yeah, we've all been there. My club's been broke. We, we, most clubs have been there at some stage. But um, just on the Hall of Fame last night, the border medal, sorry, the Allen border medal. Yep. Um, is my, is my, I saw a replay on Fox Trigger this morning. Usman mm. Khawaja's speech was brilliant. And um, it, uh, it's great to see Shane Warne got recognised again with Test Player of the Year. Arguably as good a cricketer as I've ever seen. I really missed him this summer on Fox Cricket and with his thoughts on our great game. And um, the thoughts of... And Ian Redpath and Graham McKenzie introducing Ian Redpath in the Hall of Fame. Things were like legends when we were growing up in the late 70s through the 80s, Dwayne. Yeah, so that's all I want to say. Thank you. Thanks for your call, John. No, I think you got um, mixed up there. It's uh, Smith, the player of the year. But anyway, I, in Redpath, it is great to see him in. I was lucky enough to work with Ian at the ABC for a long time, and he is one of the genuine gentlemen of Australian sport. Um, and for those who don't know, uh, Ian Redpath, he had an antique shop on Shannon Avenue just next to St. Joey's High School for years. And you could drop in any day. He'd be out the back, you know, working on the furniture, um, he'd be polishing something up or uh, doing another dovetail joint. He was a ripper. Uh, and um, he was one of those guys that people did gravitate towards and 
go to talk because he had so many stories and he told them so magnificently, almost poetically, and it was nice to work with him for so long at the ABC. So, Redders, you're probably not listening, but uh, if, if someone is listening that knows Redders, make sure you give him a cheerio. Andrew and Nidri, you there, Andrew? I am, and it's been great listening to the program uh, today, Dwayne, and you're spot on about uh, Tasmania, so stick to that because I think, you know, uh, as the old saying, build and they'll come. And mm. I think, um, and I think that will happen. And uh, but my call is about uh, Mr. Kelly and his comments. And the Collingwood uh, has a history with this: Eddie Maguire and uh, Brown, and now and now Kelly in relation to poor clubs who pull their weight and make money and all the rest of it. But that this has been an ongoing issue for years, Dwayne. Um, when the VFL was broke, um, you know, uh, poor old Fitzroy had to go to. Uh, you know, Queensland and um, Sydney went, uh, Swans went to Sydney and that. But it's taken them 20 or 30 years, maybe more longer now, um, to, to actually get their their, their um, position correct or their, their support base hmm. set up and, and and all that type of thing. Um, and I reckon uh, the Gold Coast will eventually, uh, and I think the Gold Coast will do very well in the next couple of years. So I'm not worried about the Gold Coast. Um, I'm a bit worried about GWS in relation to the, where they're they're situated, but uh, with the AFL support and, the, and and their their plan, I think um, they'll you know they'll get back they'll they'll get there, but it'll take time. But I just want to put something to about, about Collingwood. They only made fifty one thousand dollars in operating profit last year over a sixty six million dollar revenue for the year. Right. They made fifty one thousand as a profit. With a turnover of sixty-six million, and, and if it wasn't for the ten million dollar government handout or nine million, cause I've got the stats up here, nine nine point eight million, they would have they would have lost money last year, Collingwood, with all the success they've had. So running mm. a football club's not easy. You know, like it's it's a huge, there's huge costs, and and it, Kelly should be focusing on Collingwood rather than if he's got some good ideas, put them on the table. And, and help those other clubs, um, you know, uh, get better. Oh, well, he has. He, t- he admitted it yesterday. He's put those ideas to the AFL before. So hopefully he'll keep putting them to the AFL. And it obviously put them in place at Collingwood. He's run a very successful business for 26 years. And it has prospered um, and it has grown and it's become, um, well, it's a behemoth. So... And I'm with you on the investment. So just on the investment side of things, yes, it's a long-term investment in the Giants that will pay off eventually because it's such a growing area, huge area in Western Sydney. But the investment needs to still be focused to the point that you can't just rely on long-term growth finally reaping the reward for the Giants. Same with the Gold Coast. You can't just, just rely on the fact that it's a growing area and eventually this thing will work. You have to try and work out how you can fast-track it. And getting crowds to your games is part of the fast-tracking as well. How does Sydney do it? How can we do it like Sydney do it? Um, the Gold Coast, how did Brisbane do it? How can we do it like Brisbane do it? Part of it's about winning as well. It's about playing attractive footy. But it is an investment by the AFL long-term. It's a big cost, but it's the right thing in a way to be investing on growth for the future in those markets, which is why I also think that there needs to be investment in Tasmania. In 2028, they get a team. It's a long-term investment on the national prosperity of the game in a state that deserves to be prosperous in the game even if you know it's had Fremantle hasn't won a flag yet it takes a long time to win a flag but it's not just about winning flags it's about being the pride of your area and that's what I think the Tassie Jack Jumpers are 
And that's what I think the Tassie Devils, if they're going to be called that, can be. The pride of their state and the whole state unified behind them. I appreciate your call, Andrew. Another one here. Hi, Dwayne. We hear this stuff about Collingwood every year. Everyone always whinging about Collingwood's draw. Fact is, Collingwood could play at any venue in Australia at any time on any day, and you'd have a packed stadium and huge TV ratings. It's just how it is and how it's always been. Matt and Sky, well, last year the Gold Coast had Collingwood come to town, and guess what they did? They got Daryl Braithwaite to sing pregame because they knew that that was their biggest home and away game of the year. We'll take a break. one three hundred seven three six seven three. 736 Dwayne, can you fact-check that profit quoted by the caller, R.E. Collingwood? Um, yeah, maybe I should fact-check it because I don't know whether it's correct or not. But he's a regular and sometimes uh, you just go with the flow on this show. But I might have to check it. Yep, I'll see what I can do. You were Dwayne's well. It's been great to have so many calls and texts come through for Midday Madness. We'll head back to your calls and texts very shortly. But part of our Tuesday McCafe coffee catch-ups menu is the host of the global game, the voice of world football in this country, Simon Hill, has been good enough to join us. You can catch the global game on podcast or catch it live on SEN anytime you like. Uh, Simon, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, Dwayne. How are you, mate? I'm good. I heard Graham Arnold on breakfast today talking about a couple of issues, and I wouldn't mind throwing one at you. He said he wants to help the game at the lower level, which was an interesting call to hear him say that because have had quite a few callers talk about how to help the game at a lower level. Firstly, here's what Graham Arnold had to say on SEM Breakfast. You know, I had a Here great discussion the... with James Johnson and, uh, and that about, you know, if I do stay, I don't want to just do the soccer I actually want to help the game. Um, obviously... You know, as I said, my heart leaves green, uh, is green and gold for the, for the nation and everything. But I also, I just haven't uh, signed to do the Socceroos. I've also signed to mm. help the junior national team's pathways uh, and getting the preparation and the planning right for the junior boys to qualify. But it's crucial that our 17s, 20s and Olympic team go to the Olympics again and qualify because without those programs in place, then it doesn't put the kids on the big stage and doesn't put uh, give the kids an opportunity to fulfil their dream. So that was Graham Arnold on breakfast, Simon. So a couple of thoughts on the re-signing of Graham Arnold and the, the thoughts on the pathway system that we've got now and how it can be enhanced? Well, first of all, on the pathways, uh, obviously the, the junior teams suffer because their, their programs are sort of splintered and it comes down to money. Um, I mean, part of what Arnie went on to say in the press conference was, you know, having a national home of football and having more uh, funding from government for high performance. Um, what he means by that, obviously, is our national junior teams, both men and women. Um, our national teams play all over Asia in these qualifiers, and it's an expensive business. Uh, you know, flying people around the continent, putting them up in accommodation, um, having programs for them to develop as, uh, as footballers. So, you know, traditionally, and it's simply the case today, as a code, we have struggled to get that money. Um, it tends to go to the other codes. So we struggle uh, for pathways for our players. We certainly struggle with facilities. I mean, we see, you know, we see this week in, week out in the A-League where uh, some of our clubs are like nomads. They go from one ground to the next. Sometimes the pitches are good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're oval stadiums. Sometimes they're rectangular. You know, we have no homes. And uh, we, we get, by comparison, very little money. 
Now, that's not just a you know a poor Oz uh, statement. It's it's also uh, a statement of intent for this game and a question for the nation. Really, you know, do you want to be competitive? on the international stage in in a game that is truly global. And if you do that, then you've got to invest in it, basically. So that's, you know, that's all part of what Arnie is saying, and I totally agree with him. In terms of his reappointment, uh, I think he's earned that. Um, you know, it's quite the turnaround because he was, he was about to get the flick after uh, the Japan and Saudi Arabia World Cup qualifiers last year. I don't think that's any secret. Uh, but they persevered with him and uh, obviously rewarded Football Australia and the country with a terrific showing at the World Cup. So I'm delighted for Arnie. Um, in, in some ways, I, you know, I do worry about him a little bit because had he gone out uh, after the World Cup, he, his legacy would have been secured. Uh, now he's taken uh, that risk, albeit probably for a, for a decent financial return, mm. to be fair. Uh, for the next four years. And, uh, of course, you know, we all know in professional sport, things can go down as well as up. But uh, he, he certainly earned that opportunity. And I, I don't think uh, many people will argue uh, with the fact that he's been renewed after that performance in Qatar. It was terrific. I won't play the grab, but he also talked about a football home, a training facility, a home for football yeah. in Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned that. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly need that. Um, you know, our, our clubs need homes. Our game generally needs homes. Uh, as I say, we, we're like nomads uh, squatting on various different bits of land throughout the country. And it's because historically our game has not received the funding that others have. Um, so, you know, if we could have a national home of football, obviously, hopefully with some facilities attached to it, that would be a good start. But it takes investment. And, uh, you know, as a game, we, we are cash poor. So we are reliant upon, uh, on, upon government, as the other codes are. But they play that political game a lot better than we do. And they have, obviously, a media that is culturally on side with those sports, whereas we don't. So... You know, things like the, the Men's World Cup uh, doing so well and the Women's World Cup, of course, that we're hosting, that all helps to propel our sport into the spotlight and, uh, you know, make people take notes of the fact that uh, we don't have any of this stuff. And it, quite frankly, it's time we did. Mm. And I need to ask you about, I have so many texts about the EPL talking about Man City and Arsenal and the gap that's now sort of forming behind Newcastle and Man U. Uh, the EPL season is such that, well, there is a gap forming, and it is down to two in a way, or do you think Newcastle, Man U, can start to make up a bit of the ground at some stage, given there's so many games left? Well, it's, look, it's still you know relatively early to make that call, but uh, certainly the top two, I would imagine, are, are going to be the two that will battle for the, for the big honours. Uh, they be Manchester City and Arsenal. Arsenal have got the break on City at the moment, but they've got to play each other twice still in the Premier League. And they played each other in the FA Cup. The Premier League took a week hiatus this week because they were playing the FA Cup. And the two teams actually played at Etihad Stadium and, and City won by the only goal. So that shows you that while the gap is, is uh, quite a, a sizable one at the moment in terms of points, uh, City you know, remain capable of putting together a, a run of results and, and putting pressure on Arsenal, particularly as they have to play each other twice, as I mentioned. So... I think it will be between those two. Newcastle and Manchester United are certainly on the up, um, but I don't think it's going to be this season. I think it'll be Arsenal or City. You mentioned the FA Cup. There's still there's always fairy tales, but there seems to be a few more. You've got, uh, well, apart from the movie, I wouldn't know where Grimsby is. 
Uh, Wrexham's got the Hollywood stars like Ryan Reynolds owning them, so they've become a big story. Fleetwood Town's still alive, so yeah, the the fairy tales are still there. Yeah, I mean, Wrexham is a great story because, uh, you know, they are owned these days, as many people know, by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, uh, two Hollywood stars. And uh, they've stated that their aim is to get to the Premier League. At the moment, Wrexham, who are in North Wales, uh, that's where they're located, are in the National League, which is the fifth tier of English football. But, of course, with the promotion and relegation system, and uh, we could do with that in our country as well. That's yep. another story. Um, they're on their way up, and uh, they were only denied by a, a 95th-minute uh, injury-time goal by Sheffield United's John Egan in the fourth round of the Cup. Otherwise, they would have been through to, to the fifth round. So that, that's certainly uh, a great story. Uh, Grimsby, I can tell you, is on the northeast coast of England. It's Lincolnshire, a fishing town. And you can smell it from about 15 miles away when you drive in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you still got Man City, what Man U, and Tottenham at the top end of that. So the fairy tale teams have still got a bit to beat. Yeah, look, you know, they're not going to, the, the smaller clubs are not going to win the cup. But uh, obviously, it's about making a name for themselves and maybe collecting a scalp or two along the way. And Wrexham did that, you know, in the last round. They beat Coventry, who are. Uh, four divisions higher than they are in the championship and Sheffield United are in that tier of football as well. So, yeah, look, that's the romance of the FA Cup. We see it here as well with the Australia Cup. Um, you know, it's pretty unique to our sports. Uh, you, you play full-time professional, you know, big guns from the Premier League against teams from the second or third division. We saw this with Stevenage, who went out yesterday to Stoke, uh, but they beat Aston Villa on their own deck in, in mm. round three. So it can happen. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what makes our, our sports so compelling around the world, or one of the reasons, anyway. I want to point it to a game or two in the A-League. We should be watching this week. Melbourne City still continue to be top of the pots, but, uh, what, Central Coast are doing well. Western United, although a lot of people listening to this program in Victoria are still trying to work out uh, what in the hell is going on with Melbourne victory. Yeah, well, Victoria are in a bit of a hole at the moment, on and off the pitch. And as I understand it, there's a big uh, off-the-field meeting today to decide whether 777 partners who have invested in the club to the tune of 20% uh, are going to be given the option to expand that holding up to 70%. If they do that, then I don't know. There may be new investment coming into Melbourne Victory off the pitch. Obviously, they've had a very difficult season. Um, you know, the, 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 the crowd trouble, the, the financial penalties that followed on from that, and, and the fact that they just haven't been able to score enough goals, which means that, you know, they're five points adrift at the foot of the ladder at the moment. And it's a, it's a head-scratcher, to be honest, because on paper they've got, you know, more than enough quality to be challenging at the other end. So hopefully, as one of our biggest clubs, they'll turn that around because, the, you know, the A-League needs a strong victory. Uh, in terms of where we're at at the top, well, Melbourne City just having just a little bit of a wobble at the moment. Three consecutive draws. It's not exactly crisis territory, um, but uh, they had to come from two goals down to, to get a point against Adelaide at the weekend. And uh, I guess the big game, or one of the big games this weekend, is uh, Sydney against Central Coast Mariners. And that's an intriguing one because the Mariners, who were involved in the game of the weekend against the Wanderers, are just gone. Uh, they're going really well, and, and Sydney can't win at the Sydney Football Stadium. So that, that'll be one of the intriguing clashes, but there's a few others. Great to have you, Simon. Uh, if you want to hear more of Simon, just check out the Global Game on SEN, and uh, you can get a, a larger dose. But it's nice to have a little one today, Simon. I appreciate you jumping on. Pleasure, Dwayne. Simon Hill, host of the Global Game and the voice 
of world football in this country. Take a break for news. Come straight back to your calls and your texts. So if you want to jump on the line, one 736 736 The open line number brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy and you can drop down and say hello to David, Janan, Aid, Jim, the whole team are down there. I'd love to see you. If you're in the market for a new or used car, drop down and say hello. Keep your texts coming through as well on the 40 Winks Temper text machine, 0433 98 11 16. Temper, consumer's choice winner, mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Back with more next. Always great to have your company for Wayne's World. Head back to your calls very shortly. one 736 The open line or 0433981116. If you want to send through a text on the 40 Winks Temper text. One news story that has evolved today is the fact that Hawthorne has extended their deal in Launceston. It's extended to the end of 2025, so this coming season. And then two more, three more seasons, they'll be playing in Launceston. Obviously, if Tassie gets a 19th team, that won't happen until 2027 or 2028. So footy will at least get played in Launceston for the next three years. And we've been lucky enough to be joined by Brent Costello from Win News Tasmania to give us the latest on what's happening down there. Having been down there last, or yesterday, it was was nice to feel the temperature of the water down there, I've got to say. Welcome to you, Brent. Great to have you on. Nice to talk to you, Dwayne. How are you, mate? I'm good. So uh, Launceston is a great venue. Hawthorne has done a lot for footy in Tassie, hasn't hasn't it? And Launceston tends to get behind Hawthorne. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. They've been wonderful for the, the city 20-plus years. They've been in Launceston now, and it does come alive when there's a, when there's a Hawthorne game in town. Um, it, it caught me by surprise this morning, though. Obviously, Peter Gutwin, the former Premier, had some pretty strong language in renewing these licences um, as a bit of leverage, I suppose, to the AFL for getting our own AFL team. And uh, this extension does hinge on that. It's uh, contingent on Tasmania getting its own team. That this, this three-year deal as it is really now, uh, to, extension of two and, and this season that we've got coming up. Um, so, um, yeah, it's an interesting one because um, it was a bit of leverage we had, but Hawthorne's certainly been on board with Tasmania's push as well and been really supportive of it. Um, so, yeah, it took me by, a little bit by surprise this morning. So is that the thought, that the pin will be pulled on the deal if the AFL in two months' time says, no, you're not getting the 19th license? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting, won't it, to see what happens because uh, obviously op- the option is there for that to happen if it, if it doesn't go ahead. But uh, you think there'd be some sort of content required no matter what moving forward. So, um, yeah, be watching seed, Wayne, on that one. But, um, yeah, I can, see, I can sort of see why they've done it. Obviously, Hawthorne... Um, has been really good, as, as I just said before. Um, and, you know, they've obviously talked about playing potentially in Launceston if Tasmania does get an AFL team in the future. So it could mean that we have, um, you know, seven games in Hobart, four in, in Launceston, and then potentially another four from Hawthorne as well. So um, they're, they're the options that are in the air, and we'll wait and see what happens with it. So, in essence, you know, having talked to a few people yesterday, it's it's the divide or the split if you do get a team that is your own team and 19th license and it is based in Hobart, that it is still a split of games that would be 6-5 or 7-4. But you're suggesting that it's, if it's 7-4, it might end up being something like 7-7 because Hawthorne might make up the number to make it 7-7. Yeah, potentially. It has been discussed in the past. There's no doubt about that. Um, I guess the state government wouldn't be paying for that uh, as it is no. now. That's the only uh, difference, I suppose, because it would be putting the money into, into Tasmania's team. So whether the funds come for, for Hawthorne to do that, I'm not sure. But 
it's certainly something that's been floated, that's for sure. So who would the support be behind, do you think, in 2028 when Hawthorne hosts a home game in Launceston against the Tassie Devils? Uh, who would the support be behind? Well, I know who I'd be supporting, and that's Tasmania. But um, you're, you're right, it's an interesting debate because everyone here does have their own team at the moment. Um, you know, we, we had a Tasmanian team, so I know a lot of people would jump off and go for Tassie, and um, some would stick with their own team. So uh, obviously Hawthorne is pretty entrenched here. As I said, they've been here for 20 years, so... They've captured a lot of the, the younger generation here, particularly in the north of the state, where they, they do play their games. So it would be interesting watch, Dwayne. So the feeling wasn't quite as, as warm and fuzzy about North Melbourne in Hobart, though, I've got to say. And maybe it's just Hobart, maybe it's North Melbourne. Why isn't the chemistry there between those two? Yeah, not sure. Um, obviously, um, Hawthorne had a lot of success during the period it's played in Launceston. They've won the three flags and been in the finals. Uh, a lot, haven't they? So whether that's got something to do with it, um, they've been very good in the community up there. Um, North Melbourne does pull a crowd here. It just depends who they play, I guess. We often do get the, the lower-drawing teams here in Tasmania, like your Gold Coast and, and GWS, but certainly when they've played uh, some of the bigger-drawing teams like Geelong, it hasn't been an issue getting a, a crowd at Blunston Arena. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It certainly hasn't, hasn't had the same attraction, I suppose, as Hawthorne has to Launceston, but to put a, a finger on why it's a little bit difficult. So where are we at? We're still two months away from working out uh, what's going to happen with the redevelopment of the whole area and whether the government-funded money's going to redevelop the whole area um, to, to make the AFL venue just one part of an entire area that gets invested in by the government. And the AFL obviously have to pay a little bit more toward the stadium that they're currently saying they're going to pay. Is that where we're at? I think so. I think you've, you've summed it up pretty well, as I mentioned to you last week, um, sort of waiting on the, the Albanese government, I guess, towards federal budget, trying to make some sort of announcement. We know the budget's not till May, though, so whether there's some pre-budget announcement um, before Gillan McLaughlin's departure, we'll have to wait and see. But as the PM said, the AFL needs to do its bit too, and sounds like he's not happy with just $15 million being put into this project. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a holding pattern at the moment, a little bit frustrating, but um, hopefully there's a, a bit of a finish line in sight towards May. Great to have you, Brent. Thanks for the update. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's an evolving story, but it's been grabbing our listeners on this program uh, by the throat quite a bit in recent times to the point that I've had so many calls and texts on it. So I appreciate you adding to it. Uh, thanks for your time. Anytime, John. Good to talk to you, mate. Brent Costello joining us from Wind News Tasmania. Uh, I mentioned Rodney was on the program last week, and I mentioned the, the split of people for and against the Tassie Stadium. Rodney, he, he didn't sound all that confident last week when he came on, to be honest. He gave us what I thought was a pretty realistic estimation of what the split might be. And he suggested 70% against a stadium with a roof. Here's Rodney Eid on the program last week. I was talking yeah. to someone yesterday who is a footy person, but even, and that's a Liberal Party in there at the moment, even some Liberal Party supporters who want a Tassie footy team don't think the government should spend uh, on, a, on a new stadium, on the amount of money they're putting into a new stadium with not only health, but there's homelessness and every, all the, all the, all the um, um, issues that we face uh, everywhere. Um, I heard the guy told me, and whether it's just a flippant remark, he reckons it's just 70% against by the voters that they don't want the, they want the money spent um, in other areas for the you know for the people uh, for the taxpayers rather than the, rather than in the um, on the stadium. So if that's the case, it's uh, it's a very tricky situation to be honest. Rodney last week didn't sound all that 
excited or positive about the thought that it would happen. But you're talking to a few people yesterday. It would be extra money the government would allocate to developing the whole area as opposed to the money that they would still get for health and the roads, etc. That's the way I had it explained to me. Andrew and Oakley, I, want to, I know you want to talk some Tassie and Hawks. So welcome to you, Andrew. How you going, Dwayne? Good. Yeah, I'm a um, Hawks member 17 years, and there's a lot of discontent amongst Hawthorne members at the moment about this Tassie deal. Um, I think originally we were happy, you know, when we nearly merged it for Tassie and everything, but having COVID and missing so much footy, um, Hawthorne members are really upset that we get six MCG games and one Marvel game, and we a lot of us are paying four or $500 for reserve seats. The four replacement games we get, we have to up, upgrade our tickets. So it costs about 50 to $65 to upgrade your tickets to sit on level one and you're sitting with opposition, opposition supporters. Look, mm. I can understand if it's funding the Dingley Stadium, but, you know, we, we are paying the most than any other club to get seven home games. Uh, I think it's terrible value and I think Hawthorne probably need to look after their members and maybe reduce the membership or find another way to get more money in because, yeah, a lot of Hawthorne people are not happy about this Tassie deal. Yeah, I've heard it from a couple of directions, so I appreciate you confirming it with your call, Andrew. I appreciate you jumping on the line. Hold the line. Got something for you. Four tickets to the Melbourne Beer Fest, Katani Gardens, St Kilda, Saturday 25th of Feb. Tickets at www.beerfestivals.com.au. Plenty still to come. We'll take more of your calls, read more of your texts. Um, Andrew Westacott as well, the Formula One CEO, is going to join me after 2 o'clock to talk about the fact that there will be more grandstands opened up for the Formula One Grand Prix and more tickets to go on sale soon. So talk to Andrew about that. You with Dwayne's well. Quite a few texts coming through today on the 40 Winks Temper Test. A couple of them uh, that uh, I should have got to earlier. Raj was great, Dwayne. Love the confidence. Will be great to hear from him again after the series, no matter the result. Cole... Uh, from Tess, thanks for that, Cole. Um, last time I checked, Marnus Lavishan was rated number one batsman in the world, which logically would suggest that he would get a game with any side on the planet. That's from J-Dog, and that's why I did give him a mention as to would he get in. Uh, I think he'd get in as well. Um, Dwayne, how do you think the draft may work down the track if Tasmania comes in after they were established? Could we see Tasmanian youngsters be available in an open draft to the other teams? Well, the way we've got it now, is that we've got academies. So the Giants have academy kids from their area that they have first choice of. Sydney have academy kids in their area, first choice of, etc. Um, the Brisbane Lions, the Gold Coast Suns, the same. But they have to bid for them. So there is a points system for academy kids, a bit like there is a point system for father-sons. So I would think that Tasmania wouldn't have to actually pay points for local kids in the first couple of drafts. I think they would get the local talent um, without having to, you know, put in a bid system. I think they'd get that opportunity straight up. But maybe they would go in the open draft. I'm not sure how the AFL would work it. How If a kid um, at the moment gets drafted, he doesn't have a choice. If Collingwood draft a kid from WA, he doesn't have a choice but to go. So maybe we'll have a situation where Tasmanian kids won't have a choice. They have to play for Tasmania unless Tasmania doesn't want them in the first two rounds of the draft and then they become open to other teams around the country to get them. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Thanks for your text, uh, how it would work. But I, I would think that it's about Tasmania having first access to local talent 
for a long time to make sure that that is going to work, have Tasmanian kids aspire to know that in the first two rounds, at least, if they're wanted by a Tasmanian team, they're going to go to a Tasmanian team. Plenty still to come. Take more of your calls. A little bit of lost in the wash. If there's something that we should have got to by now, then you can jump on the line now if you'd like, and we'll take your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll talk plenty of Formula One with Andrew Westacott. It's here in Australia, March or well, April 1 and 2, last day of March, early April, and it's going to be huge. Oscar Piastri will be in action, so we'll talk to Andrew Westacott on that too. What's been lost today? What's been lost for the last week, given that we've had so much Australian Open to talk about? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. For Lost in the Wash, if you've got something you'd like to discuss, uh, one here, Graham from Brisbane on the text, any danger we can talk about current year's sporting events and not waste the show on franchises that are years away? That's Graham from Brisbane. Well, that's the beauty of Midday Madness, Graham. You can call about anything you like. You can text about anything you like. So if there's something specific you'd like to talk about, give us a call. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. That open line brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. And uh, lost in the wash opportunity for you to grab yourself four tickets to the Melbourne Beer Fest. So we've got Melbourne Beer Fest tickets, Katani Gardens in Kilda, Saturday twenty fifth of Feb. Tickets at www.beerfestivals.com.au, and we'll take your calls for. Melbourne Roadside Rescue, Wrong Fuel Extraction. Search upshipcreek.com.au. Head to your course shortly. A couple of things that have been lost a little and I wanted to play to you. The Alan Border, the Australian Cricket Awards last night and the Alan Border medal. Usman Khawaja got up and he did say some brilliant things last night, Usman Khawaja. He said the sport breaks down barriers and uh, he had a great point to make. I didn't want to get through the show without talking about the fact that Usman Khawaja and the Khawaja Foundation is doing some great things. Here's a bit of Usman from last night. I came to Australia when I was four years old. English is my second language. I didn't speak a word of English. My kindergarten teacher asked me how I was going on day one. I still remember I replied and I looked at my mum and I said, you can't get here, which means what is she saying? And her face, I still haven't forgot. Um, she shat herself too. So she, she was like, oh boy, I've got a kid who doesn't speak any English. And I remember from the start, the one thing that always was a constant was sport. I love sport. And I didn't speak a word of English, but I was playing footy, um, tag, cricket, everything there was on the schoolyards. And it just showed me that sport breaks down all barriers. And that was the one really important part of my life. The second part of my life, which my mum will attest to, was the studying side. Coming from a subcontinental family, it's very important, um, and she always placed that on me. So the two facets of the Usman Khawaja Foundation are allowing kids from low socioeconomic backgrounds, refugees, immigrants, to be able to go out, play, play for free. doesn't cost them anything. Usually at that age, at a young age, you have to pay, whether it's Milo, anything. This is free. Just go out, try it. If you like the game, then we can help you move on to the next level. And the second part is giving grants, scholarships, things needed for kids, with education, um, both very close to my heart and both how it started. A little bit of Usman Khawaja at the border medal last night. And while we're talking cricket, Lance Morris was on with Julian De Stoop earlier and said some interesting stuff, including the fact that he thinks he can bowl quicker. Here's Lance Morris from earlier today. Uh, I think there's, yeah, there's definitely, I'm, ne- I'm not really, like, happy with where my 
my action is is pretty good at the moment, but there's definitely some technical tweaks and things like that that I'm always sort of tuning tuning up or working on. So I think um, moving forward, if I can if I can make a few technical tweaks, I I will be able to bowl uh, at least quicker for longer. But um, yeah, I think there is there is some potential there. So um, hopefully we'll see what happens. Yeah, let's hope that we do see what happens and he gets a chance to bowl in India. Stu in Handor, if you want to talk baseball, Stu, welcome to you. Thanks, Dwayne. Yeah, I sure do, mate. Um, lost in the wash. My um, my suggestion is people get around the Australian Baseball League, which has its final series, its grand final, for lack of a better description, uh, kicking off this weekend. Three-game series. First game is uh, Friday night in Perth. It's the uh, the Perth team, Perth Heat versus... Um, versus the Adelaide Giants. The second two games will be in Adelaide if the third game's required. That'll be Sunday. The second game will be Saturday night, mate. And it's set up to be an absolute belter of a series based off of uh, the games that have led to those two teams reaching this part of the season. So how can people watch it? Have you got a, 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 a streaming service or somewhere we can watch it? Ed Wyatt's been doing the yeah. commentary, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah, he has, mate. He has. There's two ways which you can watch. There's uh, KO, which um, which is right. picked it up. Um, not, it's not on Foxtel, but it is on KO. The um, other way, though, think... is you just go to the Australian Baseball League uh, website, and then you can access a streaming service from there and cast that video to your TV if it has a Chromecast built in, like most do today, or to yep. uh, to any other media device that has that Chromecast facility. So it's very accessible easy to pick up, and the commentary is great, and the broadcast at this point of the season is really well presented as well. Great stuff. Look, Mel from Melbourne Aces normally gives me a call about this time of year and gives me the heads up to let me know what's going on, so I appreciate you doing it. Stu, great to give it a bit of love, so we want to check out the baseball. It's on, it's high class, and it's there for you right now. Great to have you call, Stu. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number... If you'd like to join us, you've got a lost in the wash yourself. Andrew Westercott, not far away from joining us as well, the Formula One CEO. But a quick break for news first. Well, just when we thought the only way of actually getting to see the Formula One Grand Prix, which is on last day of March, first two days of April, was maybe to buy a high-rise unit on Albert Road, we're told that there might be a new ticket release coming to give people the opportunity to still get there. Andrew Westercott's been good enough to join me, the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. Welcome to you, Andrew. Great to have you back on the show. Great to be here, Dwayne. And your your assessment was pretty spot on. Unless you were going to get a new spot in Formula 3 or Formula 2, um, then, yes, it's high-rise or maybe uh, VIP ambassador or something like that. But it's great news for the fans, and there's a few more tickets coming out next week. Well, there's no celebrity race either, which was my avenue in about two decades ago. So <laughs> it is... <laughs> well, you, you got down to some C-listers that year. But anyway, um, it was great to be involved. It has been fun. It's always fun every year. And, well, just when we thought it was a sellout, how can people get more tickets? And I presume there's going to be a few more available for the Friday and Saturday than maybe the Sunday? Yeah, we've had an, we've had an announcement today. It's two months to go. And so uh, next Wednesday, the 8th of February, 50 days to go, we've got uh, some general admission tickets for Sunday and Saturday. And the reason why we've got this when we we pretty much had a sellout pre-Christmas was that we've got a temporary venue, it's a park, it's 176 hectares, and we've done a lot of reconfiguration of um, where all the support categories and everything else are going. And we were touch conservative in in our estimates pre-Christmas. And rather than leaving those tickets um, 
for another day. The best thing is to make sure we get them on sale. So there's a few thousand for for Sunday. We've got a few more than that for Saturday when we're still to announce the the music lineups, which will uh, uh, appeal to many. And uh, Friday, there's still lots to go. But given Formula Two have and Formula Three have practice and qualifying on Friday. I'd expect that those are going to push to high numbers as well. So it's really, really good news. So you're going to cap it at 130,000 each day for for safety reasons or for infrastructure reasons. Why is 130 the number? Well, no, it's a third reason. It's a more uh, it's a more relevant one to everyone. Is we want to make sure the event experience is spot on, and uh, I think left un, um, unbridled um, and unlimited, you could probably sell 150,000 on a on a Sunday, such as the pulling power at the moment and the interest in the sport. But we want to make sure that we think the, the venue capacity is 130,000. So we've got teams who are building the circuit right now, very much focused on event fundamentals. I mean, it mightn't be sexy, but it's making sure that, you know, toilets, public bars, public food, cleanliness and hygiene, transportation, shade, and sort of the GA viewing areas are really going to be first class. And, and that's our challenge and what we want to, want to do and achieve for this year's event. So we know what we're going to get Saturday and Sunday. What will you get Friday, or haven't, hasn't that been completely announced just yet? Well, Friday Friday's going to be a, a new occasion. I mean, Sunday you get feature races for Formula 1, Formula 2, Formula 3. So you get Oscar Piastri and Jack Doohan hopefully uh, going um, hammer and tongs for the Aussies in those two things. Qualification, but also sprint races for F2 and F3 on Saturday. And But Friday's going to be a great day because you get two f1 sessions you get two f2 sessions and you get two f3 sessions on the friday plus Porsche carrera cup and supercars so you know no one's going to complain about the value for money across the weekend i can tell you yeah you might have to add a thursday you're thinking of that and add to the wasn't there a thursday well, in adelaide all those years ago well no we're we're the only formula one event around the world that has thursday and that's a great day for the, the local categories. We've got Porsche and um, supercars in practice, practice qualifying and races. Mm. Um, but also we've got the historic uh, parades and lots of other things to see and do. People, it's a great opportunity to get around the venue, have a look, because um, when the real action hits the track, um, people are jumping into the grandstands to look at that. And we've built some new grandstands this year and we've also built a couple of new hospitality facilities. Beautiful stuff. So... What, Feb 23 to 25 is testing, then you've got round one Bahrain, round two Saudi Arabia, and then bring it on to Melbourne. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the great thing for Oscar Piastri, who we've got to start focusing on, is that he gets the cobwebs out in in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. He's doing some practice at, I think, Silverstone and um, Southern Spain in Jerez, which is pretty uh, well known for MotoGP as a great circuit. And uh, then he's coming into us as race three, and that's going to really set him in good stead for it. But uh, you're quite right. We're 50 days to go um, from when we go on t- sale for the tickets next week, for the final tickets. And then it's um, really the build coming together in a great great uh, rate of knots. So he's a Melbourneian, Oscar Piastri. He was from Halebury. And uh, you yeah. know, he's, ridden at, he's been carting at Todd Road. He's done all the, the local stuff. But he did go overseas to live at, what, the age of 14 to further his opportunity? Yeah, he did. Uh, like um, like Casey Stoner uh, on two wheels and Mark Webber back in sort of the early 2000s and even Daniel Ricciardo, you just can't be successful and crack into Formula 3, Formula 2 um, in, a, in a manner unless you're getting into 
um, overseas categories. So, you know, uh, young kids like Brad Madgeman, who's a, a national champion and stuff in karting as a, as a nine-year-old and thereabouts, go, goes over and gives some um, time overseas to try and crack it in the big league, come back, and uh, they might find their experiences in Formula 3, like there's three Aussies in Formula 3 this year, and Oscar Piastri has won Formula 3 World Championship, Formula 2 World Championship, and now he's got the debut in Formula 1. So there's a there's a real uh, karting, karting route to get into Formula 1 these days, and there's lots of young kids doing it at Todd Road and, and also down at Oakley. Yeah, which is where he raced as well for quite a while, and I think it was an old tip down there that they had a... The karting track in. <laughs> You're right. Um, so in tennis, we talk about Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's one of the all-time greats. Max Verstappen's working his way up the list. He sure is. And um, guess what? Red Bull, um, they were in the wilderness a little bit. They had engine changes. And uh, now here they are as World Constructors Championships. And Max Verstappen's won it twice. Ferrari are the ones who have probably underperformed a little bit. But uh, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, are going to be up there. And the great thing about a, a new Formula One season like the footy, Dwayne, is that uh, although you're reigning premiers, you're a mob, um, <laughs> there's, um, there's always hope and anticipation. And uh, we can only hope that um, this year, Oscar Piastri is going to master the McLaren and they're going to be pushing podiums a lot more often than sadly they have been in recent years. So how are they testing? Or won't we know until those main sessions in Feb? No, we're not really going to know until uh, Bahrain testing 23, 24 to 20 and 25 of February. That's when you get the comparisons. But there's always a lot of foxing. I mean, if you're if you're wanting sponsors, you won't run light fuel loads, soft tyres, mm. and do a few other tricks. And guess what? You're going to be topping the pops. Whereas if you want a fox, you have a high fuel load, you operate on hard tyres, and you don't give anything away until race one in Bahrain. So um, Formula One's a game, and it's a very, very high-stakes game. You had a great promo guy in Daniel Ricciardo, almost to the point that he may have even cooked himself by. He did so much in terms of PR, but he loved it, we loved it, we all loved him. How's Oscar going to go? Because there's going to be a lot revolving around him. Um, I would say quite conservatively. They're different uh, individuals. They're both very capable drivers. And you know, let's put it in perspective for people who don't know much about Oscar Piastri. He won the Formula 3 World Championship, backed it up the following year with Formula 2 World Championship. And there's only two other drivers who have done that. That's George Russell for Mercedes and Charles Leclerc for Ferrari. So he's in, um, he's in big company. In footy terms, he'd be a high first-round draft pick. But mm. Mark Webber's looking after him. And Mark's just going to make sure that it's steady as she goes. And uh, Oscar will focus on the driving but I'll tell you what, he'll be a fan favourite coming down Melbourne Walk at um, the Albert Park Circuit. I've seen you uh, enjoying the music before. You want to give us a hint as to what music acts? You said they'll appeal to all, which means that it might be uh, like a band or an artist that's, that's a little older than just a younger DJ-ish kind of artist. I know. I can, I can let you know that the, the Sunday lineup's already out there. That's Birds of Tokyo and Sneaky Sound System with the warm-up act being... I think one of your favourites being down at Fairhaven, King Stingray, it would probably oh, okay. be one of yours. But um, Friday, Friday and Saturday are yet to be announced, and um, it would be doing a disservice to for me to um, uh, say it now. But uh, I'll tell you what, they're, um, they are on my Spotify list. They're on my son's Spotify list. And, uh, and I was just talking to uh, Leanne out in the office here, and they're actually on her Spotify list. So she's all the way from Ireland. And I can tell you what... Uh, 
if Leanne's excited, then I tell you what, um, they're going to get a lot of the crowd excited. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. Then uh, wait for that announcement. Connie Mitchell, by the way, is a ripper. Sneaky sound system are great. And they have a, a huge following and a great vibe. Andrew, you're giving away the rain. You're handing over the reins. What are you going to do? Well, I, um, I'm just having a lot of chats to a lot of people at the moment, Dwayne. But after uh, 16 years with the corporation, I wanted to make sure that we could hand over the reins with plenty of time and transition, which is, you know, as custodians and with the event here till 2037 was really important to me. So I haven't got uh, anything sorted out just yet, but if you need a panel operator and your, your regular people are uh, crook on one day, you could probably teach me pretty quickly. <laughs> well, you're a bulldog man, aren't you? Won't they kind of tap into your knowledge base? Well, they will. I am a bulldogs man, so yes. Uh, but I won't be going to the first Bulldogs game because there's a, there's a huge amount of activities in Grand Prix week this year yes. and the official welcome is always hosted at the Government House, so I'll I'll have to just uh, listen to the roars from... Mar- I think we're playing at Marvel on the Thursday night. So, yeah, I'm a Dogs fan and, um, you know, plenty to like about them so far uh, in early early uh, training form. But that's a bit like Formula One. Early testing and early training doesn't count for much until race one, does it, Dwayne? No, it doesn't. Hey, uh, you've done a brilliant job, Andrew, and I really appreciate how accessible you have been to this show. We'll probably talk to you again between now and the Grand Prix being on, but... Uh, well done oh, on the job friend. you've done. How, how are they going to find a replacement? They're going to have to go to you know, some overseas country to get someone as... Do you know who they're going to try and headhunt? Uh, no, no, I don't. I'm leaving that up to Paul Little and the, the rest of the board, but they've got a, a process that's being finalised. So um, I guess as a plug for my replacement, um, keep, a, keep an eye out there in the next week or so for, for details. But... Um, up until then, I'm really focusing on, obviously, the next two months. And I tell you what, we're in great shape. And if anyone's jogging or riding their bikes or just driving, uh, things are looking good out in Albert Park. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, always good to talk um, motor racing with you, Andrew. You know, I'm, I'm actually driving the Nürburgring in October. I've already got my car booked, so um, I'll be getting the helmet on and looking forward to that. Yeah, so uh, That will be sensational. It will be nice. I can't wait. Uh, but I might see you at the Grand Prix before then. Uh, we'll talk Cheers. soon. Thanks for your time. Okay, Dwayne, all the best. Andrew Westercott, a uh, famous Bulldog fan and also in his uh, spare time, CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. We'll take a break and come back to wrap it up next.